1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lusts of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Now, in relation to what we've been talking about this morning, about Christ's humanity, Christ, he subjected himself to the flesh, and therefore his flesh felt the longing of fleshly longings. Not that the longing in and of itself was sin. It is not the longing for something that is sin. It is the actual doing, the actual giving in to the lust of the flesh. And he says these three different things. <clears throat> the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And he says that those are the things that, in, in the beginning of that verse, he says, for all that is in the world, everything in the world, all of the longings of the flesh, every, everything that is in the world can relate to either the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. And he says that these things are not of the Father, but they are of the world. And in verse 15, he tells us, don't love the world. Don't love the things that are in the world. If anyone does love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Um, <clears throat> there are a lot of things in this, in this life that, that draw us, that capture our attention. Um, and, understandably enough, many people are trapped by the world. Because, after all, it is the things that we see, right? It's the things that we see. Here, sense in every in every way, shape, and form. We have all of these senses, and every single one of our sense can be anchored by something in the world. Every sense that the human body has can serve the kingdom of God or be ensnared by the kingdom of Satan. There are addictions revolving around every single human sense. And I'm not going to go through and categorize every single one of them, but, but we need to understand that um, when the Bible talks about lusts and pride, those are the things that we relate to in the human flesh. Um, and he says here, again, for those who have just popped in, do not love the world or the things of the world. Okay, And we have to define what exactly are the things of the world. Does that mean... We're not allowed to eat food because food's of the world, right? You know? Are we not supposed to have food? No, that would be silly. Are we not supposed to enjoy wearing clothing? No. I mean, how am I supposed to say this? <laughs> clothing is not a sin. In fact, it's, we all appreciate clothing in, our, in various ways. Um, are we not supposed to drive vehicles? Are we not supposed to use um, these little tablets? Are we not supposed to conform to any of the standards of, of the day that we're living into? You know, I wear, I, I wear these, these black-rimmed glasses. That's kind of in line with you know, some of the standards of the world of the day. In, in the desk, Pastor Darrell left a pair of ancient looking glasses that somebody had given him uh, that are just that look like something you'd see in some old western um white yeah the wire rims and the yeah and they kind of go back behind the ear and under and it's just 
you know, sharp steel. <laughs> you know, that, that was the standard of that day. Does that mean we're not supposed to conform to these things? No, not necessarily. Um, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Are we not allowed to enjoy things because of that? What, do you, what say you? <clears throat> what do you say concerning these things? Tells us what we're not to mm-hmm. lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. So, mm-hmm. as long as we're not participating in sin, I think yeah. these things, we, like you mentioned, we can enjoy. Yeah. Right. So, just because you enjoy something, does that make it sinful? No, not necessarily. Just well, to excess, might. Yeah, enjoying something to excess. Like, what is gluttony? You know, what is gluttony? Can somebody tell me what gluttony is? <laughs> Eating way more than you need, right? And you know, need is <laughs> the key word. Um, we're, we can enjoy food. I enjoy a slice of pizza from time to time. <laughs> Some ice cream, popcorn, probably way more than I should, and I should probably, you know, moderate that <clears throat> a little bit more than I do. But our, it's not that we're not supposed to enjoy food. We're not supposed to enjoy food to excess um, because enjoying things that are enjoyable but not sinful can become sinful if we give them an inappropriate love, an inappropriate affection. You know, an inappropriate affection towards food is, well, I know I don't need this. I know that I, don't e- I may not even be hungry for this, but I want it. So I'm going to take part in it. You know, that, that comes back to one of the things that he mentioned, the lust of the flesh. My flesh has an appetite for something, <clears throat> Even though I know that it's bad for me, but I'm still going to take part in it. That's giving into the lust of the flesh. That is loving the world in an inappropriate manner. <clears throat> and the Bible says elsewhere that we should be moderate in all things. That another way, what is, what it? I'm not talking about food necessarily, but think about think about ways that we moderate things in life. What's something that you moderate, whether occupationally? Or socially, what is it to moderate something? Well, not letting things get to excess. You don't let things get out of control? Like, as a teacher, you moderate the classroom to make sure that it stays under control, to, stay, to make sure the children are functioning properly, um, that they're acting in a way that is appropriate for their school setting. Now, when they're at recess... They're moderated differently. They're allowed to run around and scream and yell and play, but in the classroom, they're moderated in a completely different format. What I was going to say, difficult for me, the thing with eating, you know, and and it talks about, you know, moderation, even Mm -hmm. drinking of wine or something like that. Yeah. I don't have to have wine to live. Right. And I don't have to smoke tobacco to live or any of those things. I do have to eat to live. So it was easy for me, in a sense, to give up those other things mm-hmm. that I didn't ever pick up again. Yeah. But eating, <laughs> that's what always made it difficult for yeah. me. You have to eat. Right. So. Yeah. You have to eat, but things that we have to do can become a stronghold for us. You have to wear clothes, but do you really need all that? <laughs> 
you know, do you really have to have an obsession with the newest trends and styles? And, you know, those are things that clothing is not wrong and it's not light and it's not wrong to want to look nice, but you can do so excessively. You can do so in a way that is in that defines you as somebody who's in love with the world, in love with things that will literally be moth eaten. <laughs> Yeah, and those things exist as well. And I, and I don't think that most of us in this room really have a struggle with those things um, as much as perhaps we would slip in more things like, well, I have everything that I need, but I'm going to go and I'm going to, form, I'm going to live a lifestyle that is constantly living in excess. And it's easy to do as an American because excess is relative, right? Um, what did John the Baptist wear? <laughs> you know, I'm not saying we should all be like John the Baptist. I'm not saying that at all. Um, but the, John the Baptist was kind of a, a picture of a man who literally cared about nothing except for the things of God. He literally cared about nothing. He lived in the desert. He wore camel hair and <laughs> ate whatever he found in the desert. Um, he didn't want to be in town around the hustle and the bustle people buying and selling. He was out. All he cared about was doing God's will. And he was a person that, he, I'm not saying, like again, we don't necessarily all need to live like John the Baptist. But he is a testament to passion, to zeal, not for the things of the world, but for the things of God. And he gave himself solely for those things. Anything that even tasted like the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, he abstained. He pushed it away. No, I'm not even going to dabble in those things. Because um, that's not of the Father. That's of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever, um, John said here. And we have to think about our own life in, in this manner. So just, and I'm not, I'm not even saying that we should be legalistic about this. I'm not saying that at all because God does not define you by your personal standards of living. He defines you by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So we're not doing these things because we're trying to earn more merit with God. We're not trying to do these things because we are trying to be better than so-and-so. Um, but take a look at your personal life. What are the things that you are, how would you define yourself? What would you define your, how would you define your zeal? What does your zeal go after? What do you get excited about? Now, those things, would it be, would it fall in line with verse 17? And the world is passing away. Is the thing that you're going after, chasing after, with an undying zeal, which will, in fact, die one day. <laughs> the thing that you're going after, or the things that you're going after, the things that you obsess about, does it go along with the world and it's passing away? One day, it's all going to be gone. When I die, it'll be dead to me. I'll be dead to it. And then when the, world, when the Lord comes and restores all things, it'll all be gone. And anything, any generational 
influence we have with our children, it's gone after one or two generations, even after we're gone. The things that pass away. Is our life revolving around something that perishes? Or is it revolving around that which is eternal? Is it in some way walking in line with, seek ye first the kingdom of God? See, all the things that perish, but we still need, the Bible says God will supply those things for you. God will make sure that you have your food. God will make sure that you have your clothing. God will make sure that you, know, you have the living conditions that he wants you to have in order to do what you want, he wants you to do. But you, your passion, your zeal, your outlook on life, seek first, okay, that's your, this is your first priority in life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Like I said, all the other stuff will be taken care of, God promised. Seek for you, seek first the kingdom of God. Because why? The world is passing away. We toil and we spin, we're trying, we try to make money, we try to get stuff, we try to have the nice house and the nice cars and the, you know, the American dream, but the American dream in and of itself is, is a lie. It's a lie. Because the American dream promises you something that only lasts as long as you're alive. And then it dies. God did not give us the American dream. People did. Because people love the world. And it says, if anyone loves the world, if your outlook on life, if your great pursuit falls in line with just the, the way of the world, it says in verse 15, the love of the Father is not in him. The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not from the Father, it's from the world. So the lust of the flesh would be the appetites that remain in this body, things that you desire, things that are desirous to the body. And the body will go to excess. It sees, I mean, that's how people fall into addictions. You know, we take something that seemed good, and now we attribute goodness to that thing, and we give our zeal, we give our passion, we give our utmost attention to that thing. We go and get it and get it and get it more and get more, even to the point that it's no longer pleasurable to us. But it's psychologically, we see goodness associated with that thing, so we're constantly going after it, and then our body becomes attached to it, and our mind is attached, because addiction is not just in the body, addiction is also in the mind. Your mind is attached to that thing, and you think that that thing will give you the satisfaction and the fulfillment that you're seeking. Even though the more you take it, the more you take it, the fulfillment is no longer there. But in your mind, that thing is good, so you keep going after it until it's fulfilling. And at some point in the addiction, it will never be fulfilling, but, so you keep going hard after it until you get the fulfillment out of it, which never comes. And that's wherein comes an addiction. Um... And that's a lust of the, that started with a lust of the flesh. Your body had this appetite that wanted to fulfill. You found something that fulfilled that appetite, and now you just run hard after that thing. 
or those things. Most of us do have some sort of addiction, whether we like to admit it or not, whether we realize it or not. Um, because addiction is not associated with a drug as much as it is the lust of the flesh. The following after that thing that feeds the appetite of the flesh. And we go into it in excess. And we become chained to it. And we can't let it go. number of things can be addictions. Television can be an addiction. A pad can be an addiction. The phone can be an addiction. Coffee can be an addiction. Anything that you constantly do and you can't separate yourself from is an addiction. And I say can't loosely because we can. We have a freedom-giving God. What I'm saying is in your own volition, you can't separate yourself from that. It all starts, to, you know, this addiction is rooted in the lust of the flesh. Then you have the lust of the eyes. That's the temptations outside, the temptations outside of you. So we have the internal lust. We have lust associated with the external. We see something. We want it. Covetousness would be similar to a lust of the eyes, where you just want, you want, you want. In our family, with our kids, we call it the gimmies. <laughs> gimme, gimme, gimme. I want this, I want that, I want that over there, I want this too. And we constantly, we're like the black hole, we're constantly feeding ourselves, we're constantly getting, but we're never satisfied. We're never full. We're constantly seeing all these things out there, trying to bring them in, and that cycle just never ends. We're never actually satisfied. I think we just read a proverb about that. I can't remember exactly what it is. Um, oh, I think that was about death and hell. Death and hell are never satisfied or something like that because they're constantly bringing in, you know, there's no end to when it brings in its, um, its captors, captives. Um, but then you have the pride of life. You have, and this is more along the lines of the American dream, I suppose. I am stable. I am fulfilled. I am rich. I am in need of nothing. I will eat, drink, and be merry until the day I die. The pride of life is I'm proud of the, what I've accomplished. I am proud of what I have done. And I have made myself special. I have made myself um, into something honorable. That is the pride of life. And that is more of the, uh, this is who I am. This is the personal identity, how you identify yourself. And we were told in Scripture, don't call any man father. Don't call any man teacher. Don't call any man rabbi. You have one of each of those, and that is your father in heaven. That's your teacher in heaven. We're not supposed to associate ourselves primarily with these people here on this earth. We're supposed to associate ourselves primarily with a Father in heaven who shed his love and his mercy upon us. We're not supposed to, first and foremost, define ourselves by our job, by our position, in something pertaining to this life. When I think of myself, I think of myself as God's son, God's servant, things pertaining to eternity not things pertaining to the thing that dies here. Because when you retire, you're no longer that thing. When you die, you're no longer that thing. We're not associating ourselves to the thing that dies when we die. We're associating to ourselves with the thing that lives after we die. And that's God. That's God and His love.
Even faith and hope fall away. Because when we see God in eternity, we don't need faith or hope anymore. Because we have the substance. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that love endures forever. Because love never ceases. When we see God face to face, love is actually amplified. Faith and hope diminish and fall away. Because now we receive what we've been having our faith, putting our faith in. We receive the hope of eternal life. Those no longer exist when we're in heaven. The love will be amplified at that point. So are you trying to amplify your current status? Are you trying to amplify something that will be diminished? Or is all of your comings and goings revolving around the amplification of the eternal? Laying up for yourselves treasures that are in heaven where neither moth nor rust do corrupt. Thieves don't break in and steal. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. What are you amplifying? Now, in the grand economy, eternal economy of things, amplifying something here can actually amplify the eternal. Because we're supposed to work in our jobs as though God were our manager. We're supposed to serve, not as we're serving men, but as we're serving God. So as we're in our job, we might be amplifying our position, our work, our, our status within our corporation, but we're doing it because we want to serve the kingdom, because we want to obey God. We want to walk with the character that God supplies by caring for other people around me, even in the workplace. And in doing those things, we do glorify God. We do show people the love of God. So we can do those things in the workplace. So this is not a tribute to just drop everything. Just quit all your jobs. <laughs> drop everything that you're doing. Don't, you know, don't stop raising your kids. Stop <laughs> you know, caring about your grandkids. Right? <laughs> um, that's not at all what this means. What this means is, in your comings and goings, make sure that one thing is always constant. That everything that you're doing is for the glory of God. You're not amplifying yourself. You're not walking according to the pride of life. You're not constantly listening to your lusts of your flesh. You're not constantly giving in to the lusts of the eyes. But rather, everything that you're doing is revolving around your zeal for God's kingdom and God's righteousness. Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. You know, I was just thinking the other day, and it was a sad thought, but I was just thinking, you know what? One day, me and Kristen will not be married, because one of us is going to die first. That does not sound like a very fun thing to think about, unless we both die in a car accident, whatever. You know, any of that could happen, or Jesus could come back. But the way most families are concerned, somebody dies first. That's not nice to think about, but I keep my hope in front of me that, you know what? One of us is probably going to die first. But I, our marriage, according to Paul, is supposed to be a tribute to Christ. And we can look about that. You can read that, read further into that in Ephesians chapter six. But the marriage that we have with our spouse here on this earth is a reflection of the marriage that we will have, or a picture of the marriage that we have with Jesus Christ. So even our marriage is meant to be an amplification of our relationship with Jesus Christ. So do we live that way with our spouse? Or do we live disjointed? Do we live in disunity? And we've just kind of given up. 
because we're just never going to get along. We're never going to have that oneness of mind that we're supposed to have as a spouse as a form of worship of Christ and the oneness that we have with Christ in the Spirit. Um, so even a marriage can be lived in futility or eternally. Um, but a lot of these things you guys are going to have to meditate on. You're going to have to observe your life. Just go through what, what, what satisfies you the most. Is it a thing of the world? What are, what are the things that you participate in excessively or sinfully? What's something that God has given for the, you know, for enjoyment, but you use excessively? These are things that are all tied to things that we are supposed to be abstaining from. Not necessarily the thing, but the lust of the thing. The idolization of the thing. The excessive love of the thing. Because those things keep us away from the love of the Father. That's why the Bible said, that's why Jesus said, rarely does a rich man ever enter into the kingdom of heaven. Because his lust for the world, his pride of life, his things keep him away from the love of the Father. They keep him away from, from the love of the eternal. Therefore, he cannot have faith. Because all of, all of his passion, all of his zeal, all of his trust is in the things of the world. So he can't have faith as long as he loves first his own little personal man-made kingdom. That's why Jesus told the rich young ruler, if you want to be saved, sell everything as a tribute to the fact that you're not trusting in those things, that you're not seeking after those things as your first and foremost love. But then his decision to turn away in sadness and not obey Christ in that showed that he just was not going to have faith. If Jesus had told the man, just believe in me and follow me, the man may have done that while clinging to his things. A lot of us, I think, claim to have faith in Jesus Christ only because Christ didn't verbally come to us and say, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and then you'll have treasures in heaven. Because that doesn't sound very comfortable to us. Where I think that some of us probably have to do that. I'm not telling you to do that, because I'm not God. I don't know your heart or your sincerity of faith. But I think that some people, in order to truly come to faith in Christ, need to sell everything, literally. Jesus told that one man, is that the only man ever in existence who needed to do that in order to come and follow Jesus? I don't think so. And I think the Spirit teaches us these things as, as He knows we need them, but it's up to us to listen to Him and obey, just like it was up to that rich young ruler to listen to Christ and obey, to show that we would rather seek after the love of the Father than the love of the world. Because if we're going to constantly be choosing the love of the world, then we don't have the love of the Father. So this is something that you're going to have to seek within yourself, because it's not something that I can necessarily point at inside of your heart because I can't see into your hearts but the spirit can the spirit perceives the things of the inner man and he communicates to you the love of God and how it is that he wants you to follow the love of God and for some of us it's going to be you've got to give up that thing that may not be a sin but it's keeping you from the love of the father 
You need to give up your money. You need to give up this addiction. You need to give up. You need to give up. You need to give up. Not in a legalistic sense, but in a kind of like we were talking about the idea of repentance. It's the humbling of oneself to be able to receive the grace of God and put your faith. The repentance has to come first because that's preparing yourself to receive the goodness of God. It's not what convinces God to give you his goodness, but repentance is preparing yourself to receive it. To break down the barriers, to humble yourself so that you're not uplifted in pride against the one who wants to give you mercy. Because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And repentance presents yourself as the humble who can receive God's grace, rather than the proud who resists it. So sometimes the Spirit comes to us and convicts us, not of something that's blatantly sinful, but something that's not necessarily sinful, but he still wants you to give it up because he wants you to love the Father more than the world. He wants you to love the Father rather than the world. So he comes to us. He works that way. He's come to us, me and Kristen, in that way, in different ways, different capacities. And you know what? You know, sometimes we, me and Kristen have had this conversation many times. I think God is talking to me like this. I think God is leading me to do this. And you know what? It's not necessarily in the scripture, you know, but I feel like the spirit is wanting me, is wanting to claim my devotion to him in this way. And me and Christian talk about, you know, like, what do you, what do you think about that? And we're like, well, you know, sometimes it just comes down to better safe than sorry. It's better to, to know that you're walking in obedience with God than to risk walking in opposition to him. You know, so sometimes we've acted just based off of, you know what, better safe than sorry. I just want, you know, at, for nothing, if, at least just for me to know with a clear conscience that I'm following God's leading. I'm going to do this thing that's not necessarily, you know, revolving around sin or anything like that, but just to show, to, to devote myself to God. That's, Jesus spent a lot of time fasting. Eating is not a sin. Fasting does not make you more righteous. But sometimes God wants us to fast because it's doing something hard, giving up something that's a daily necessity to show that you're devoted to him about something, that you're devoted to God. So fasting is about devotion. That's what fasting is about. We call reading our Bible every day devotions. And you know what? It is devoting a, a period of time throughout your day to just reading and being with God. And that's good. But that's not the only way of devotion that God wants us to walk. Sometimes the Spirit leads us in ways of devotion to give up something, whether permanently or partially, just in devotion to God. So, I want, and I say that not to tell you anything in particular specific, but just to put it in your mind, be prepared that it's okay to give up things that are not sinful in devotion to Christ. Because sometimes I do believe, I believe that the Spirit speaks to every single one of us in this way, at some point, in different ways, because He wants to test our devotion, to take, and when we and when he tests our devotion, it's so that he can take us further into the grace of God, into the faith of God, to make us stronger, to make us more useful in this world, to express more deeply the righteousness that's already been given to us, to express the love that God has already shed within our hearts. So be aware that the Spirit is a real person, 
and he does actually communicate with you through conviction, not necessarily of sin, but through convincing you that you need to walk in a certain direction. You need to give up a certain, you need to devote yourself in a certain way. The Spirit does talk to us like that. If we are believers, we have the Spirit within us. And the Bible does say that He will teach us all things. So keep, your, keep yourself open to Him. Keep yourself open to God. Don't take pride in the fact, just like the rich young ruler, I've kept all the commandments from my youth. I've never killed. I've never committed adultery. I've never worshipped an idol. I've never, 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 never. We don't take pride in that. That's the pride of life. No. We devote ourselves to Jesus Christ in everything that we're doing. And the Spirit will lead us. The Spirit will test us. Be prepared for that. Listen for that. Look for that. And obey. Thank you, Lord, for your guidance. Thank you, Lord, for your love. And that you're constantly looking to take us deeper because you want us to know you better. Lord, you are already perfectly fulfilled in and of yourself. The Lord, it is for our own good that you call us to this, to this devotion with Christ. I just pray, Lord, that you give us the humility to follow where you lead. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.